Amen, amen. You can be seated this morning, church. It's an honor to be with you today. Though somewhat unexpected, I thought about putting everyone at ease that's here and watching online and saying, don't be alarmed, I have earpieces in. Pastor Tim is talking to me in this ear. Dutch Sheets is talking to me in this ear. And it's going to be okay. And if, and if you believe that, then let your faith be there. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, Praise God. But how many of you know, you know, we are literally, my goodness, 2020 is a year where we are living by every word that proceeds by from the mouth of God. And how many of you are thankful that words are proceeding to you by the greater one on the inside of you? Amen. And so even as we stand here, you know, in, in December of a wild year, an unprecedented year, all the words that we're all tired of hearing, uh, whatever you want to call this year, uh, he's still speaking, isn't he? And I believe he's speaking this morning. In fact, it's interesting to, to find myself here. Um, what I thought last weekend would have been my last services to minister this year in 2020. And when this began, uh, the Lord actually awoke me early in the morning, uh, earlier this week. And it was one of those times where I, I woke up in an, a knowing, an awareness of an unusual presence of God. And the Lord began to speak to me some things then that it would just seem as, again, I woke early this morning here in my hotel room, they're sort of coming into a culmination of what I believe that God is saying. And so I'm just going to ask you to open your ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit of God would do with these words that He spoke to me and how He would speak them to you. Amen? If you brought your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up to the book of 2 Corinthians. And uh, we're going to take a look at that. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And... Uh, as you're finding uh, your place there, uh, I just wanted to mention it was interesting this morning, or last night rather, when I checked into the hotel, there was a precious young girl that was helping me there, and uh, she looked up the reservation and she said, oh, you're at my home church. And I said, oh, you go to the Oasis. And she goes, oh yeah, me, my parents, my grandparents. She said, I grew up at that church. And I said, well, how blessed are you? And she said, oh, I'm, I'm so thankful. She said, one time we moved away and then we came back. And she said, I, I was so thrilled. And I, I just stepped back, you know, from that moment. And I thought, isn't that a picture of what this house always has been and continues to be? That the Oasis is a house that has been speaking truth for generation after generation, steadying generational lines. And here we are in a pivotal year, come on, and this house is still doing the same thing, speaking truth into moments when we need it so very badly. So it blessed me. I'm thankful to be here this morning. Um, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As this year is coming to a close, it's a year that has been like no other. I don't think it's a stretch to say that 2020 has been a year that has literally sent shockwaves around the world. And I know in the past few months, I have found myself in moments with uh, men and women of God that I greatly respect and admire, and I have purposely 
taken a moment to ask them this question, and I genuinely wanted to know the answer that would come from them. And I would ask them the same thing. Do you ever remember a time like this time in your, in your life? You understand, these are people that have lived longer than I have. And, uh, and just uh, last month, you know, I actually came and sat down with Pastor Tim Sheets here at the Oasis. We sat down in, in his office uh, late one morning, and uh, we did a, a podcast conversation uh, for my podcast last month. And I wanted to hear him as a father in the faith just speak into this time we're in. And so when we started out that conversation, it was a very candid conversation. I asked him that question. I said, Pastor Tim, first I just want to ask you, do you ever remember a time like this one, like 2020 has been in your life before? And, and so many of you, you know, that attend here, you know Pastor Tim, you probably know his answer. He said, Jen, I don't remember a time ever like this in my life. In fact, I don't know that there's ever been a time like this in history before. And it just sort of brought home uh, the, the realization in the truth that as Pastor Tim calls it, we are living in a hinge of history moment. And we feel it. We don't just watch it play out on the news and our lives go on as normal as times in past have been. This hinge of history moment is literally affecting every part of our life. You can't escape it. You can't ignore it. You can't put your head in the sand and say, well, it's too bad it's going on there. No, it's, a, it's affected all of us. But we have discovered in a year like this, maybe like never before, as Pastor Tim has said, that the hand of God in the Word of God is literally the guiding steady force that when really comes down to it, it's what we live by. It's not our habits. It's not same old as same old. It's not, well, as long as my daily routine isn't disturbed because all of that has been thrown out. It really is what God is speaking to us in his word that stabilizes us. And I love some of the things Pastor Tim has been putting out. Uh, and he's made statements about getting our natural bearings and footing requires that we first get our spiritual natural bearings and footing. And I, I have felt that. I remember uh, hearing him talk about that. And it threw me back to the beginning of 2020 or end of 2019 and I remember the Lord just dealing with me about the coming year. And I look back and the things he spoke to me then that I have written down. Oh, it didn't make any sense to me then. But one of the first things he said to me was that our spiritual senses would be our sole singular way forward in 2020. And my goodness, has the, how that has proven to be true. We are living in a hinged place. What I would say is a transition place. And God's word told us that times and places like these were coming. And I've spoken to some of these things when I've been here before about the purpose and the plan of God is always taking us from strength to strength, faith to faith. And one that's very real to us right now, though it might not look like it, from glory to glory. And I want to say to you this morning that going from glory to glory sounds like a great thing. But how many of you know that that can be a bumpy transition? Come on, there can be some air pockets when you are shifting from one place of glory to another place of glory. I'm saying that the transition can be, hinge moments can be a bumpy ride. 
And so you better have what it takes on the inside to stabilize you or else our flesh is going to talk us into jumping ship and just tucking back to that old place of glory. Only his glory is not there anymore. And so we have to move forward. The enemy would try to disrupt, to alter, reroute, or even abort this transition in this hinge moment that we are in. But church, I believe we can say it, even if we have to say it over top of our emotions and our heads screaming something differently, we will not grow weary and we will not faint. Come on, we were made, we were made for this moment. It reminds us that things are not always as they appear. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18 this morning. This is a familiar portion of scripture to many of us. Paul writing and he said, while we look not, come on, somebody say look not. While we look not at things which are seen, which means there would be things we could be tempted to look at. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are, which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He is reminding us that things are not always as they appear, and they are not always as they appear to you. We have to decide to let heaven paint the picture and inform us of what is real and what isn't real because, church, if we are not careful, fear will talk us out of what we already possess. I'm going to say that to you again this morning. If we are not careful, in other words, if we look at the things which are seen, they could talk us out of what we actually already have. Fear will try to talk you into doing things or not doing things that cause you to lose something God's already given you. How many of you believe that the things that you are staring down the barrel right now, the things that we are collectively looking at, how many of you know that a lot of things are trying to talk us out of places of victory that God says, I've already gone before you, I've already dealt with your enemies, don't flinch in the face of fear. It reminds me of a story that I, I read about once, and it paints a picture of this so much of things appearing to be one way. And if you follow what it looks like, you miss out on this new, this new greater place of promotion. Come on, if we don't get our thinking right in a transition place like this, it'll talk us out of what God's trying to promote us to. And this story just painted such a vivid picture. It's a true story. And uh, it's about a, a very well-known businessman, a wealthy real estate tycoon in Las Vegas named Steve Wynn. And of course, Steve Wynn owns the Wynn Casinos and lots of properties. But early on in Steve Wynn's business career, he uh, made his first sort of chunk of wealth. And he was raised by a father that not only gave him a great work ethic, but also gave him a, a tremendous love of art. And so when he made his first chunk of wealth, one of the first things Steve Wynn did is he went and he purchased this famed Picasso painting, and it was called The Dream. 
And he had saved up his money out of these first real estate acquisitions, and he bought this Picasso painting called The Dream for about $48 million. And so if you save up your pennies, people, you too, tuck that away. And so as years went on, you know, and he continued to acquire wealth, he also continued to acquire so many beautiful pieces of art, and he had quite the collection. But in recent years, Steve Wynn actually discovered that he was in the early stages of a degenerative eye disease. And one of the first things that this eye disease affects is your peripheral vision. And so it was at this same time that Steve Wynn made the decision to divest a large portion of his art collection. And because this Picasso was his favorite, he really wanted to know where it was going to wind up, so he started with that. And so he picked up the phone and he called one of his best friends, another very wealthy entrepreneur named Steve Cohen. And he said, Steve, look, because of what I'm dealing with, I've decided this is the time to divest some of my collection. And each time you've ever come to my home, you've always admired this Picasso. And so I, before I put it on the market, I wanted to ask you first, are you interested in purchasing it? Steve Cohen said, I've always loved that painting. Absolutely, let's work out a deal. Well, of course, the Picasso had greatly appreciated since he had bought it all those years ago. And so this painting that he purchased for $48 million, he sold to his best friend in a best buddy deal for $148 million. And so the day came when they were going to package up this painting and ship it off to his best friend the next day. And so Steve Wynn called about 50 of his friends and family, and he invited them over to his home that evening. And he said, look, uh, we're going to celebrate this painting tonight. It ships out tomorrow. Come, I'll tell you everything I love about it. This might be the only time in your life that you ever get to see a Picasso up this close. And so everyone came that night, and at the end of the night, they all gathered in this great room, and they had taken the Picasso down off the wall, and it was sitting on an easel. And so Steve Wynn gathered everyone around, and he began to tell all that he loved and that he knew about this famed Picasso masterpiece called The Dream. And as he was telling them and finishing up, he went and he gestured toward the painting. But because of this degenerative eye disease... He lost his balance, and when he went to steady himself, he put his elbow through the painting. And so when it happened, as the story goes, they said all the oxygen left the room. You know, everyone gasped, just like you all did. And, and being a gracious man, you know, once they steadied him, he began steadying everyone else. And he said, look, don't worry about it. I did it. You didn't do it. Let's put it in perspective. You know, nobody died, and we'll handle it. And so the next morning, Steve Wynn called his friend, and he told him what happened. And he said, look, I'll handle this however you want. Uh, if you want, we'll discount the price, and I'll ship you the painting as planned, and you can go about seeing about getting it restored. I, I know it's, it's going to look terrible when you receive it. It's going to look ruined, but... But we'll discount it. You could see about getting restored. He said, or the other option is, if you don't want to deal with it, we'll just call the deal off. We'll just cancel the sale. We'll, we'll forget our plan, 
and I'll, I'll just keep it. And Steve Cohen said, look, I would know the first thing about engaging in getting something like this handled. It's too big of a mess for me. Let's just cancel the sale and you keep it. And so in the weeks following, Steve Wynn called an art restoration company to come and to look over this painting. And so when they were done looking it over, they sat down with him and they said, well, the good news is after looking over your painting, we do believe that this painting can be restored. He said, you're kidding me. They said, no. They said, but it's going to be a process. It's not going to happen overnight. They said, first, we'll have to go in with surgical needles. And painstakingly, we will begin to stitch the fibers that make up the canvas or the foundation of this painting back together. And they said, sir, that's going to take some time. You're going to have to be patient with us. He said, all right. He said, then we'll have to begin to research the original pigments that were used by Picasso to create the colors that he painted with. And we'll have to go to those original sources and get those pigments to begin to make those colors. And then and only then will we begin to very carefully restore Picasso's original painting. And once again, this is going to be a process. They said, but sir, when we are finished, when you look at this masterpiece called The Dream, you will never be able to tell that anything ever happened to it around. They said, unless you were to walk behind the painting and there you would see the backstory of the work of restoration that has been complete. At the end of that meeting, Steve Wynn commissioned them for this work of restoration. And they were right, it took some time. It was a process. And when it was finally done, they called him in to unveil the painting. And when they lifted the cover and he looked at that beautiful masterpiece called The Dream, he was in shock because it was exactly like they had said. To look at that painting, you would have never known about the elbow that went through it that created the hole. You would have never known about the devastation and the tear and how ugly and marred that it appeared. It looked pristine, but when he walked around it, there was the stitching and all of the work that told the story of the work of restoration. The wild thing is that years later, Steve Wynn once again decided to sell his beloved painting called The Dream. And this painting that he had originally purchased years and years prior for $48 million, that he was going to sell to his best friend for $139 million, sold on Christie's auction block for $155 million. It was the highest selling painting that had ever been sold at that time. You see, Steve Wynn knew something about art that Steve Cohen didn't. And that is, art that has been restored is worth more than if nothing had ever happened at all. Because the work of restoration 
is now considered a piece of art all by itself. What I want to say to you this morning is that we are walking out a transition process right now. Many of you are feeling it in your lives. You're feeling it in the fiber of your being on a daily basis. And maybe you haven't even articulated it to people this close to you. Some of you are dealing with family situations and things going on in the canvas of your life that you're going, this looks like devastation. It looks like chaos and it appears unrepairable. But I believe that heaven would remind us that things are not always as they appear. And that he is the master restorer. And that even when things we have put our trust in, or outcomes we put our trust in, or ways of God doing things don't play out the way that we thought. Come on, if we remind ourselves of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning, then we are reminded that we were never made to navigate this life by using our natural eyes looking at things as they appear. For as we have been reminded, we get our footing, we get our bearings, and we get our truth out of the more powerful realm of the Spirit where the master creator is using his original sources that he began this good work with in the first place, and he is restoring what looks broken. He is putting back together what looks irreparable. He is coming into situations that look like they've been derailed, and he's saying, wait, 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 don't let fear talk you out of what's already yours. For I have gone before you, I have gone ahead of this thing, and as he's reminded me, I've got a million ways for doing things you wouldn't think of in a hundred years. Church, I believe that we are standing right now in the month of December at the end of a year that has sent shockwaves around the world, and I believe that heaven is announcing we have stepped in to a new place of the visitation of Jesus upon our land. And I believe that his visitation is a visitation of the person of who he is. This is not a visitation where we sit in fellowship with everything we know about him. This is a visitation of him, of the person of Jesus. I'm so thankful that I grew up in a home of, of Christians. I'm so thankful that I grew up in a home where we went to church on Sunday, and the fabric of our lives was built around the family of God and the people of God. I've watched it stabilize me. I've watched it stabilize my family. I'm so thankful for all of the doctrine and the truth and the knowledge and the understanding that's been given to me. But what I'm talking about is not gathering around all the information and the knowledge that's been handed to us about him. I'm saying that Jesus is a person and he is visiting your home. He is visiting his church. He is visiting this land. And his visitation is bringing what his word declared. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And whenever there's been a visitation of Jesus, his visitations historically have always done unprecedented things. 
I want to remind you of just a couple this morning. Historically, visitations of Jesus deal with our issues. I'm talking about our issues as a, a planet, our issues as a nation, our issues as families, our issues as husbands, as wives, as children, as students, our issues as individuals. When Jesus historically met with the woman with the issue of blood, he passed millions, he passed thousands, he passed hundreds, and he came down to the one, and he dealt with her issue. And he said, the things that you've brought to this encounter with me, they can't stay anymore. I can't let you leave this place with me and leave with those issues for one more day in your life. How many of you would say, I would love to walk out of 2020 issue free? Let the Spirit of the Lord come in in liberty and freedom and break bondages and restore brokenness in us just as he's doing in our nation and put things back together again, knowing that this work of restoration that he's wanting to do and is doing is promoting us to a new place of glory and it's adding value to who we are as sons and daughters of God. Historically, visitations of Jesus have come in and dealt with things that have atrophied, that have not been used in quite some time. I'm thinking about the man with the withered hand. And Jesus didn't find this man out in the world. He didn't find him in the streets. He found him in the church. And he showed up to church on that particular day, and there was this man... He must have been faithful there because everybody knew him and everybody knew that's the guy with the withered hand. The Bible doesn't say that anything else was withered about him and so it would lend itself to tell us that everything else about this man was fully functional and he was a strong man. Everything else was fine except he had this one withered hand. We don't know if he was born this way, if there was an accident. But what we do know is that a withered hand means it's curled up simply because the muscles have atrophied because it hasn't been used in so long. I'm saying that Jesus is visiting his church and he's waking us up and he's saying there's things in my body that haven't been used in so long that have atrophied and this visitation is coming to awaken those places in you. I'm pulling the fullness of you back into full capacity. It's not enough that you go through life just living in 50% of who you are. Church, we can't be 50% of the body of Christ in a hinge of history moment. We must walk in the fullness of who we've always said that we are. And what I love is that Jesus' mode of bringing this restoration about is he didn't do it outside of him. He walked right up to him and not addressing everything else about the man that were totally fine. He went and dealt with that one thing that was curled up and locked up and he looked at him and he said, stretch forth your hand. Do something with the thing you haven't been able to do anything about in so long. And the man didn't grow weary in well-doing because he did it. It wasn't being cruel when Jesus asked him to do that. Jesus knew, if I can get you to act on the one thing that you can't make happen for yourself, if you will 
put your trust in me. If you will not look at what's seen, but you'll look at what's unseen, what your heart is picking up, which is I'm in the middle of a visitation of the person of Jesus, and he can do something about what's been atrophied. If you'll do something by faith, the Son of God knew the power of my Holy Spirit will meet you halfway and come on that thing and bring it into restoration again. Church, I believe we're watching this happen in our nation right now. I believe we're watching this happen in our nation. Things that have fallen asleep things that have not been used in so long, things that have been atrophied, as we are whittling down our options of the way we thought he would do things, and we are coming down to Jesus at the end of the day. You are our king, and we put our trust in you. And even as you have spoken it, we believe your words to be true above everything else. This will not be the moment where we let fear talk us out of what God's already put in our hands. Can you say amen this morning? We're in a visitation of liberty, of the healer, of our land, of the anointed one and his anointing that he brings because this visitation of his has a purpose attached to it. And heaven is on a conquest for trust. Luke 18 and verse 8 speaks to a moment like this when the Son of Man visited the earth once before. And it says, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? I have this strong sense in my own heart that this visitation of Jesus the person, not the knowledge that we have about him, but the visitation of Jesus the person is he's looking for entrance to come in and he's on a conquest for trust and he's coming in and he's saying, am I really Lord here or is Lord just the plaque that you have on your living room wall? Is my lordship a functioning position in your life or is that just in title only? Is your trust really in me or is your heart fainting as other things that you put your trust in begin to fall apart? Will I find faith in the earth? Will you let me be who I promised to be for you? Will you finally give me the treasure of your trust? Because this visitation of heaven demands a verdict. Hosea chapter 8, in verse 5, beginning in verse 4, he says, They've set up kings, but not by me. They've made princes, and I knew it not. They made them of their silver and their gold. They made these idols that they may be cut off from me. In verse 5, he says, Your calf, O Samaria, hath cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled against them. How long will it be until they attain to innocency again? The Good News translation simply says, How long will you look to your idols to do what only I can do for you? And it's not until we're confronted 
with the reality that anything we put our trust in outside of him alone really is an idol unto us because it's taking a place that only he is meant to possess. There are things that as I look over the landscape of my life, I would never define them as idols. But if in a moment of crisis my heart goes there, then I am forced to call it what it is. As we come into the end of this year and we stand in a place saying, God, we desire that you be God in our lives and even on behalf of our nation. We stand at this place and we can only stand before him flat-footed with our eyes on him and our hands in his. Because if we face this moment with one hand behind our back, leaning to the ways we have done things before, the hinge of history will swing the wrong way. What I hear reverberated in these words of Hosea is not an indictment, but a call of heaven's heart. Saying, would you let me come in and eradicate the things that maybe you have put in place and take up the real estate that I was always meant to hold in your life. This holy visitation that demands a verdict, that is at work right now, is bringing in the Jeremiah paradigm of both deconstruction and then construction. It is the work of Jeremiah when he said, See, Jeremiah, I have set thee over nations. And he began to walk out this process of what his hands would do. And he said, First, you'll have to come in and you'll tear down. And there'll have to be a rooting up. There'll have to be a breaking down. So that then and only then can I come in and begin to build and to plant. Church, I believe we find ourselves in the middle of that Jeremiah paradigm again. And as this is a visitation of Jesus that demands a verdict, he says, can I come in and take my place and begin to point out to you, this needs to go. Come on, this needs to be torn down. This needs to be addressed. We need to deal with this so that you can come into a new place of strength, a new place of faith, and a new place of my glory. And if we can get through that work of deconstruction, of destruction, we can step into what God's heart and intent is right now. And that is to begin to build and to plant, to see the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God. This visitation of Jesus brings with it a holy excavation process that is only intention is for our good. His holy excavation process never comes in to remove things that we would just go without. It's because what we've wrapped our arms around is keeping us from what is better. And we've watched this play out on a grand scale over 2020. And there's been moments that have been rough. There's been moments that have been hard. There's been moments that have not turned the way that we thought that they would. But as we started out in praying this morning, heaven's never been caught off guard. 
The whole time, heaven always knew, oh, that's just a step in the process of what I'm working right now. That was never the end. Hold steady, church. Hold steady. This holy excavation process taking place is meant to unearth heaven's greatest treasure in earthen vessels. And that is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. The hope of glory. We've heard it said over and over again, even from this pulpit. If we've gathered in person and online for prayer gatherings over the last few months. That the church of Jesus Christ is the strongest force of any nation. And we can say that and it sounds good and true. But we are living out a moment where it must be true. That the church of Jesus Christ is stronger. It is the Access to the highest court of heaven, higher than any lower court. Come on, higher than any supreme court. It is the highest court, and it is the court that you and I have been seated in him. Not in the room, not next to him, but seated in Christ in heavenly places. As we were worshiping this morning and just declaring him as king, I don't know about you, but it filled my tank this morning. And of course, I was thinking about things God's working in me, in my own life, living in sort of this revelation of, of this awareness of a visitation of Jesus and wanting to make room for that in my life and in my heart and wanting him to come in to places that maybe he hasn't had access to. And, and I'm thinking about how God is doing that in our nation right now. And as we were worshiping, the Lord reminded me of a time that he gave me the honor of being a part of when there was a visitation in a land before. And it was quite some years ago when I was uh, flying into another nation and, and I received the news that I had been invited, I had been summoned really, to meet with the president of that nation. <clears throat> and... I remember getting to uh, my uh, hotel where I was staying that night and, and just feeling a little overwhelmed at what was going to happen the next morning in meeting with him. You know, I just, I got on my knees that night and I just said, God, how did I get here and what do you want done? I understood not just the weight of a meeting with a head of state, but the nation that I was in was in a hinge of history moment. Their economy had been stalled for some time and was really on the brink of a layer of devastation like they'd never known. Their social services were failing. Things were in a, a bad place. And so I felt the weight of this, not to just walk through a typical meet and greet, but if the Church of Jesus Christ really is the strongest force of any nation, and I find myself in that nation getting ready to meet with the president of the land. You feel the weight of that. And I remember on my knees that night that the word of the Lord came to me for that man. And I did not know him to be a Christian man. And so I just thought, God, how in the world is 
what do you want me to do with this? And he just left me with that sense of, would you just trust me? And so that next morning, you know, I arrived at the government complex and they walk you through all the security and then they walk you through all the protocols and everything you have to do. And, you know, these things are never left to chance. It's all very stated ahead of time. And he'll say this and you say this. And once he gestures, then you're seated. And, and this is how long it'll take and then it'll end and you'll say this. And so these things are, are very planned out. And so I remember walking in, and it started just as they said, and we were in his office, and he stood behind this grand desk and greeted me, motioned to the chair, and things began just as it had been planned. And as we continued to talk, it was my turn, and I just began to let him know that for some time I had been praying for the nation that he sat at the head of and served. And when I said that to him, it was as if a window of opportunity came to me. And I said, sir, in praying for you, in praying for this nation, I've prayed for you. And it would seem, and, and I began to relay to him what the Lord had spoken to me. And I said, even though things are in a critical state, there are some avenues that seem to be creating distance between you and them. There's some alliances. There's some places that you have been going to to stabilize things that are walking away. And it would be typical in your political prowess to reach out and reestablish those places and those relationships. But in praying for you, sir, it would seem that the Lord would say to you, let those go. In other words, don't reach out to those. Don't put your trust in those. And that if you will let those go, you and this nation will be better off for it. When I look back on that moment now, I recognize that that nation was in a time of visitation. And that visitation demanded a verdict. Heaven was on a conquest for trust. And here sat this man who, as far as I know, did not know the Lord as I knew him. But in his moment of need as a leader, when heaven's words came, I watched him make a choice and his heart responded. And in the strangest thing I witnessed that day, this man of great political position lifted his hands on each side of his head and dropped his head and said, then let them go. Then let them go. And I knew in my heart that a shift occurred in that moment. Without taking the time to go through all the details, what I can tell you is that year was a hinge of history moment for that nation. And in the three years that followed, that nation came out of a third world status that it had been in for decades. And their economy began to flourish and their churches began to flourish and churches that never owned buildings began building buildings and everything began to take off to a new place. And it is because the footing, the bearing of that nation began to find its place in the more powerful realm of the Spirit. What I'm saying is that the Word of God that is coming to us is to help us go from one place of glory to a new place of glory. And though it might seem bumpy, 
And though things may not go the way that they thought they would, we declare once again at the end of 2020 that we are well aware things are not always as they appear. For our eyes are not upon things as they appear, but our eyes, Jesus, are upon you. As we close this morning, I want to challenge you, church, and I believe this is the heart of heaven, to declare to you that we are in a time of a visitation and that he comes in, as he always does, looking for room. And so I want to challenge you to make room for him in ways you have not done. In fact, I believe our nation needs us to make room for him. To make room for him to come in and to speak to you and to rearrange things for you and to deal with things that need to be dealt with so that he can begin to create in you the things that it is now time to build and to plant in your life. Would you stand with me this morning? There's such a sense to me of the presence of the Lord in a particular way. And I love his presence in this way because the presence of God that I sense here today is the kind of manifestation that I describe as personal. And I believe that this time of visitation, it is personal. I believe that this visitation is going to produce the kinds of times where we come into the house of God and there's a visitation of the Lord, but not because he came on us, but became because he came in with us. Because he's found place and entrance in our homes in a dynamic way that he has not had before. I believe that the visitation that we're crying out for even upon our nation and other nations of the world is not just because something dropped out of heaven, but because it was initiated in our homes. This morning as I was getting ready to come, all I could hear over and over and over were the words of a simple song that we hear a lot about this time. But it seemed to me to be a prophetic declaration. And it was simply this. Joy to the world. For the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. We pray that over our nation and the nation's of the world today and we speak joy to the world because the joy of the Lord is strength so we speak strength from state to state to state we speak strength and joy to these United States we speak strength and joy to Europe and Africa and Australia we speak joy and we say let earth receive her king we receive this visitation of Jesus to come in and sit with us and deal with things that must be dealt with. 
to deal with things that must be eradicated, to fix the holes, to go back to the original intent and resources and restore once again God's dream for our lives and his dream for our land. We receive our King to come in and do a holy excavation process of deconstructing and revealing hidden works of darkness so that his kingdom can abound and produce once again. And we say, heaven, that our response to you is that every heart prepares room for you. We prepare room for you, God. We prepare room for you. God, we create real estate in our lives, in our homes for you. We prepare room for you to come in. Not just room for what we know about you, but room for the person of Jesus. And we say, Father, that we step into alignment with you. Father, we say that our nation steps into alignment with you. We say, let heaven and nature sing the same song, declare the same thing. We call, Father, for the angels of God to come and ascend and descend between heaven and earth. We thank you, Father, that in this holy visitation, you're removing anything that stands in the way between us and you. We say that in this holy visitation that you're removing anything that stands in the way between the United States and your dream for this nation. You're removing. We say let heaven and nature say the same thing. And we thank you for it, Father. And we thank you for it, Father. Let's just take a moment right now. This is so personal between you and him. I believe one of the greatest things we could go into this Christmas season with is to prepare room for him. This year started out with an unprecedented occurrence of nations in lockdown where we got brought into a place of staying in our homes and we had a choice of making room for him or filling it with a lot of other stuff. I believe at the end of this year, God is saying, would you just voluntarily come into a place with me where you prepare a place for me to come in and be with you? And God, we do. And God, we do. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you. 